We live in a time of tremendous opportunity for innovators, entrepreneurs, and those with skill and imagination. But it seems at every turn, there are forces that slow us down or get us off track. I believe you can trigger your independence and lead a flourishing life, be free to choose, and live according to your own values. Join us in a conversation about big ideas in life, liberty, and the pursuit of your happiness. Welcome to The John Riley Project. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the John Riley Project. This is episode number 256 of this podcast. Thanks for joining me. Uh, we're live streaming, as we always do, on on, on uh, YouTube and on Facebook. We welcome your thoughts and comments. Just type them in on the comment section. They'll pop up on my screen, and I'll be happy to share your thoughts and comments during the live stream. So, yeah, we got a, actually a really interesting show in store for you. I really want to explore this topic about San Diego State University and the roots of the school being left out of the Pac-12. And there was a really interesting article I read about it. And I want to share that with you because I just think it's fascinating. It kind of talks a lot about higher education in California, particularly here in San Diego. So I thought this would be a fun topic to get into. But, you know, there's so much to cover in the news. There's so many things to consider. Um, You know, I was just looking at, you know, what can we possibly talk about today? I mean, William Shatner went into space, Captain James Tiberius Kirk. I'm a big Star Trek fan. So that's a pretty exciting moment, especially to see a 90-year-old man go up into space. That's pretty, pretty cool. Um, But even here, you know, at the local level here in my hometown of Poway, you know, there's always something going on here, you know, because there's always a lot of chitter chatter amongst the neighbors here. And, um, you know, one of the, the big development projects along Poway Road, which had been abandoned, is what's called the outpost. The developer went out of business, filed bankruptcy. Well, now there's apparently a, a plan to have a new, you know, company sort of come in and take over the project. Uh, but they want to put in more housing and less commercial property. And I know that's going to be a big topic. So we'll probably get to into this one, the outpost change of uh, ownership here in the future podcast. But, you know, there's a sports arena site that's now there's, there's a new plan there. And we, there, we could even talk about John Gruden and vaccine mandates. I mean, there's just so many different ways to go today. But I really wanted to talk about San Diego State University. And I mean, because there's a lot going on with San Diego State University. There's a lot of buzz with the school. I mean, that whole, you know, what are they calling it? SDSU West or SDSU Mission Valley. You know, they're taking over that Qualcomm University, uh, Qualcomm Stadium site. And I don't know if you've been down there recently, but man, that stadium is going up really quickly. You can see the the infrastructure is going vertical. I, I can see they're putting in the, the stands on at least one side of it. The lighting fixtures are up. That's going to be a really exciting facility. I guess they're going to be able to hold about 40,000 people there for football games. Hopefully the soccer team will get to play there. And, you know, maybe we're going to see concerts there and other other events. But even the rest of that, that that gigantic parking lot, which I remember someone telling me that when it was Jack Murphy Stadium, that that parking lot was the largest parking lot west of the Mississippi River. 
Now, is that true or is that just an urban legend? If it's not true, it's got to be darn close to true because that's a huge piece of property. Well, I was just driving by there like about a, within the last week. And, you know, they got earth movers there and they're, you know, kind of carving up the dirt. And if you've seen plans for San Diego State West, it's, it's a very exciting project because uh, they're going to be bringing in more classrooms, more research facilities, um, more student housing. There's going to be some commercial, um, you know, opportunities there. And then on top of it, the stadium. Um, so, I mean, it's just, a, it's a great time for San Diego State University. And, you know, the sports program has had a, a tremendous amount of success. I mean, right now the football team is one of the few undefeated teams left in the nation, which is exciting. And the basketball program for men's basketball has been very good now, you know, really for the past, I'd say 15 or so years, maybe 13 years. Um, you know, the, the athletic programs have become so good. They've really put, you know, a mark on the map for San Diego State. So, you know, good for them. In fact, I saw a stat. If you take the football program and the men's basketball program combined, they have the second best overall winning percentage of any university in the nation since 2010. So, I mean, it's it's amazing how far San Diego State has come. And, and I know from my children when, when, you know, they were going to school, you know, a lot of their friends went to San Diego State. And you pretty much need a 4.0 GPA to get in. Um, it's no longer, you know, kind of an easy school. I mean, back in the 80s, you know, I, I went to UC San Diego out in La Jolla. And back then, San Diego State was certainly a a good university, but it wasn't like a – you didn't need a 4.0 to get into San Diego State. You still need to be a very good student. Um, But, you know, the whole competitive landscape of colleges has changed and, you know, it's harder for our kids to get into the schools they want to get into than it was when we went to school. You know, I often joke that if I were applying today – a good chance I wouldn't have got in a UCSD, but you know I was a freshman in '82, so I was able to get in. Um, but you know, there's, you know, I think I think that my point is is that not just on academics, but as excuse me, not just on athletics, but even at the academic level, San Diego State has made huge strides as a university, and you know, for all of us here in San Diego, you know, it's it's something to be proud of, you know, in our overall you know, region uh, where we we have these excellent universities that are producing um, outstanding talent are coming out of these schools. If it's not San Diego State or UC San Diego, I mean, there's USD and Point Loma Nazarene and um, I'm probably leaving, oh, well, Cal State San Marcos for sure. And so as there's more universities and as they're more established, putting out better product, I mean, that's good for us overall in our community, you know, a more intelligent workforce. And in many cases, you know, that's leading, you know, certainly the UCSD um, uh, university is leading a lot of the the biotech that's really happening here throughout San Diego. Um, and San Diego State, to a great degree, their alumni are very strong, very powerful, and making big differences. So it's exciting to see what's happening at San Diego State. And But, you know, I'm a sports fan, and you know, when I went to UCSD back in the 80s, they were Division Three. And I'll tell you what, when my experience at UC San Diego was fantastic. 
Um, great degree, great school, met great people. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better college experience except for one thing. And because I'm a big sports fan, I really wish UCSD was a division one program. Um, so what I did is after I got out of college, I eventually sort of adopted the San Diego State Aztecs as the college program that I was a big fan of and rooting for. Well, you know, now UCSD is going D1. So now I'm going to have to sort of root for the two of them in parallel. But it's an exciting time. I mean, for me, uh, this is, I mean, I was going to really try to go to most of the UC San Diego basketball games last year, but COVID wiped that out. So for this season, I think I will. And I had previously been going to San Diego State basketball games. Like every year, I usually go to about two to three games. And it's always a great time. It's a great program and a lot of fun. Um, but what's interesting for San Diego State, in, and this kind of gets to this topic of, you know, they're in, they're in the Pac-12, or they're not in the Pac-12, and why aren't they? You know, you would think that certainly from an athletic perspective, their program really is on par with UCLA and USC and Berkeley and Stanford um, from an athletic perspective. Um, and the Mountain West Conference that San Diego State finds itself in is sort of a, a stepchild of, of a conference, right? You know, that you have the, the, the Power Five conferences, the ones that make all the money and get all the TV revenue and all the attention, whether that's the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, or the ACC. And then in some cases, I think there are a few other conferences that are on the fringe as well. But those top five conferences really dominate college sports. And San Diego State always seems to be, at least for the last 10 to 15 years, the dominant school in the, in the Mountain West. But while other schools are jockeying for position, other schools are making switches into new conferences, San Diego State has been unable to do that. And you would think that, gosh, if the Pac-12 were to ever expand, um, because all these other, all, all these other um, uh, conferences are expanding, you would think that San Diego State would be a natural fit. But we know there's resistance. And a lot of times, a lot of fans have always wondered why. Why is there resistance? You know, some people would say that, well, the Pac-12 likes San Diego because that's a great area to recruit um, athletes from. And that's a fair point. But there's got to be more to the story. And that's what was so fascinating about this article that I discovered. Um, it was shared on social media. And it's it, the title of the article is The Root the Roots of San Diego State University's Exclusion from the Pac-12. And this was written by Paul Garrison, and it appears in the East, East Village Times, which is sort of a, a digital newspaper that really kind of is mostly about San Diego sports, particularly about the Padres. And that's why it's the East Village Times, because Petco Park is in San Diego's East Village. But, I mean, I, I, I learned a great deal in, in reading this article, and I'll, I'll share the links in the show notes. But to me, this was, this was fascinating because apparently the history is, is that, you know, coming out of World War II, there were all sorts of um, students, you know, well, first of all, the, the GIs are coming out of, out of uh, 
the war. A lot of them are going to colleges. The college system in California in the 1950s was expanding. There were more people going to school. And then, of course, you know, the baby boomers were right on the heels of this. And they could they could forecast that California was going to have a surge of population growth and that the university system in California was sort of a hodgepodge. And they didn't really have a sort of master plan. You know, there was the the UC system, which back in the 50s, you know, my alma mater, UCSD, didn't even exist. I don't think it, it became a university until 1960, if I recall. Um, so you had the University of California system. And meanwhile, you had all these Cal State schools and, of course, the community colleges. And it was a three-tiered system. But back then, it was those lines were not as clearly defined. And so there was a... A, a law that was passed by the state legislature, and it was called the Donahoe Act of 1960. It was it was named after a um, a state legislator, um, and her name was Dorothy Donahoe. And what it basically did is it this is what established the tiered system. One could say an artificially tiered system um, in the state of California for the three levels of universities: the University of California. The California state um, college system, or I guess they refer to them as state colleges then. Now they're state universities. And then, of course, the community college. Um, and what was interesting is, is that leading up to this decision in 1960, the this, this, the, the, the universities felt threatened. You know, they wanted to maintain their autonomy, especially the UCs. They didn't want state legislators dictating what they could be doing. They wanted to remain as independent as they could be, but they could feel this sensation that the, if they didn't act, Soon the governor was going to act. And I guess Jerry Brown Sr., you know, the, the, the first Jerry Brown, I guess he was threatening to take action. So it kind of forced a lot of these university presidents to sort of put together a plan. And so that's what happened apparently in 1959. Um, and there was a battle, a political battle that was pitted between the chancellor of UC Berkeley, Clark Kerr, and the UC, and UCLA professor Dean McHenry, those two, you know, Berkeley and UCLA, were pitted against the um, uh, the president of San Diego State. His name is Malcolm Love, and so here you've got two UCs against a California State School, and they were the leaders that were kind of in this battle as they were jockeying for position in terms of how the, the system of how the college infrastructure or hierarchy would be established. And so what's interesting is, is that as this, you know, unfolded and they eventually came up with their own plan on what they were going to do. And it was, I mean, if you read the article and there's, I'll share the link to this article in the East Village Times, but this article has all kinds of links to, um, various UC and Cal State sites and going over the history. But in many ways, this was a battle because at the time, they, they the, the UCs wanted to maintain sort of a, um, a higher level of education. They wanted their schools to be the research-oriented um, schools where the professors spent the majority of their time in research. They are the ones that had the graduate programs. They were the ones that were able to issue um, master's and PhDs, and they really wanted that to themselves. They wanted to say, well, you know, Cal State schools, you guys can – 
you know, educate the, the teachers for K through 12. And, and maybe you can teach and, and, and allow students to get certain, how should we say, um, occupational or professional degrees. But really, let, leave the serious stuff to us. Leave it to, to um, our academics to do the really heavy lifting. You know, that's how we want to establish this plan. And the Cal State systems, they were they didn't want anything of that. They were saying, wait a minute, you know, if if we want to have doctorate programs in the state college system and the state university system, why should we be excluded? And so that was the battle. But in the end, you know, the, the Cal States were able to have some level of um of research, some level of doctorate programs, but of course, nowhere to the degree of the University of California system. So, you know, it's kind of like in any sort of compromise, the the two sides never really get what they want. They both kind of walk away not feeling all that great. But at least the 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 state university system was able to retain um, some of their doctorate programs. They were able to continue to do research. Now, this was interesting to me to learn this because I remember when I was a student at, San Diego, at UC San Diego, we used to always complain about our professors that they always seemed more interested in research than they were in teaching us lowly undergrads, especially in a lowly undergrad lower division course. You know, it always felt like the university professors were kind of um, stooping. You know, they they had to just deal with the um, the lower class so that they can you know quickly do that and get on their way to doing their their serious research. But we also noticed certain things, like you know, for example, um, when I was at UCSD, my degree is in mathematics and computer science, but I went to Warren College and I had to have two minors. Um, and I have a minor in communications and I wanted to get a minor in business. But at the time, UCSD didn't have a business school. They didn't have any business classes. There was no business undergraduate degree. And that was fairly consistent throughout the whole University of California system at the time, especially for undergrad. So my second minor is actually in management science, which was sort of like economics um, with a little bit of business mixed in. Because we took some statistics classes and a few other examples. But, you know, we, we quickly learned that, you know, if you wanted to get a degree in accounting, you, you don't get that at San UCSD. You'd have to go to San Diego State. So San Diego State had more of, like, like I just said, the professional degrees, the ones where you're getting like real life direct experience for the kind of work you're going to do, as opposed to, you know, more theoretical teaching now, granted, I was in computer science. We were learning computer languages, which were directly applicable to a lot of jobs that were in the marketplace at the time. So, you know, it's a little bit of a blur. The lines weren't as hardcore, but there was definitely a separation. And I knew that in the 1980s. Um, but what's interesting is, is that this separation from an academic perspective, this separation from a research perspective of a two-tiered system where the UCs are up on the perch and the Cal State system was sort of a second tier, that ultimately is the reason, according to this article, to the author of this article, that's really one of the driving reasons why San Diego State has been denied access into the Pac-12 conference. So, like, who's in the Pac-12 conference, right? They're... I always think of them in groups of two. There's the University of Washington and Washington State University. Then there's the University of Oregon and Oregon State University. 
And then there are the two schools in the Bay Area, Berkeley and Stanford. Then there are the two schools in L.A., UCLA and USC. And then the two schools, and, and, and back then, that was the Pac-8. Then they became the Pac-10 when they expanded to add Arizona and Arizona State. And then shortly after, afterwards, um, actually probably about, what, 15 years ago or so, they became the Pac-12. And they added Colorado, who I think was in the Big 12 at the time. And then they added Utah, which was one of San Diego State's rivals in the Mountain West. So, um, yeah, so Utah and Colorado were added into, to make it the Pac-12. So in California, three of the Pac-12 schools were UC campuses, or excuse me, two of them, only two, Berkeley and Cal. Um, of course, Stanford, a very distinguished um, research university. And then USC, which is kind of an interesting one. USC, I think has also made gigantic strides academically, um, as also in terms of the quality of their faculty and their research. And, and actually, along with that, their tuition has gone up just the same. But, you know, th- these schools, I think, had a certain level of cachet, a certain prestige in the academic space. And they wanted to keep these sort of smaller schools away. And, and so I think because in order for a school to be admitted into a new conference for athletics, it requires the approval of the university president. And the university president doesn't rise up through the ranks of the athletic department. They're not an athletic director. They're usually coming up through academia. You know, they are usually coming up as an economics professor or a biology professor or something. You know, they're going to be a person with a lot of academic credentials. So they probably knew the history. They probably understand why, you know, what makes their school special and why they kind of want to maintain that exclusivity. They wanted to maintain that position on a perch, even though there might be these hustling young schools that are doing great things, making great strides like San Diego State. They probably want to keep them in a second tier from an academic perspective, but then also from an athletic perspective. But what, um, yeah, and here in the article, it talks about how uh, member institutions and their fans and even the local San Diego media have sometimes turned their noses down at State University on Campanile Drive. Is that how you pronounce it? Is it Campanile? Um, forgetting that the academic gap between these schools was actually artificially created. It was created by fiat. It was created based on this Donahoe Act that defined the system and separated them. So in many ways, San Diego State, as they've risen up as an academic school, they've almost been doing so with strong headwinds. They've been successful in spite of the fact that the system in some ways was rigged against them. Um, but at any rate, it, you know, according to this article, fortunately, you know, for California education, the state colleges carried the day in their political battle with the UC schools. And behind the aptly named Love Plan, remember Malcolm Love was the president at San Diego State, the state colleges convinced law, lawmakers to include the line except the university may agree with state colleges to award joint doctoral degrees in selected fields in the final legislation. So as a result, 
San Diego State University or any any other state university in the system could offer a doctoral degree as long as it was in cooperation with one of the UCs. And so um, and it's through that clause of having the opportunity to offer a doctoral degree has allowed San Diego State to be a leading research institution. Now, this is interesting. I learned a whole thing. A whole thing here is that they categorize universities um, as what they call a uh, R1 or an R2 or an R3. They they categorize them based on the amount of research they do at the school and what the focus of the professors and the faculty happens to be. And an R1 school like UCSD is heavily focused on research. And the professors, yeah, they teach, but it's like an oh, by the way. We're at a R2 school, you know, maybe those two might be a little bit more closely balanced between research and teaching. Well, San Diego State has made it their goal to become an R1 university by 2025, because right now they're an R2. Apparently, every one of the UC uh, schools is R1, with the exception of Merced. Merced, of course, the newest addition to the UC system. So it's interesting because like in athletics, they have division one, two and three. But in research, they've got R1, R2, R3. I feel like I should say C3PO. Um, it's it's interesting. You know, I'm learning a great deal as I've been going through this. And at any rate, um, San Diego State is really there. I mean, they're they're putting their foot on the on the on the accelerator from an academic perspective, from a research perspective, from a athletic perspective, they're pushing to be as elite as they can. They want to be all they can be. And I think this expansion of San Diego State West, they're in Mission Valley at the former site of Qualcomm Stadium, Jack Murphy Stadium is a big step in that direction. And it's exciting. It really is. And so... Again, I, I welcome your thoughts and comments. Feel free to type them in in the live stream on either YouTube or Facebook, and, and we can chat about this. Um, but what, what's interesting, too, is, you know, in the landscape of sports, the, the college conferences are in a great deal of flux as they are right now. I mean, we're constantly seeing shifts. You know, we're seeing schools leave one conference to go to another. Nebraska left the Big 12, went to the Big 10. We just saw the recent news that Texas and Oklahoma announced that they're going to be going to the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, which is the, really the number one conference for football. Because the Big 12 really has been kind of eroding. You know, the Big 12 lost um, Texas A&M not too long ago. They went to the SEC. So there's a shifting landscape that's going on within college sports and those power five conferences are trying to maintain their hold and they want to keep Remember, just just like in the academic level. They want to keep those second tier universities out. They want to maintain that exclusivity. And really, a lot of this goes to money. Right. Always follow the money. I mean, with with colleges. The, the, the finances are gigantic. It's a huge difference that a Power 5 school will get in TV revenue through their conference than a Mountain West school will get. And the same thing is true when it comes to research money. Um, schools that are, that are considered R1 universities are probably going to get way more government grants for research than an R2 school is going to get. So money plays a big role in all of this. But there's another 
part of the story that I found to be fascinating. And it goes back to President John F. Kennedy is, is in this story. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. So apparently um, on June 6th of 1963, you know, less than six months before JFK was assassinated in Dallas, he gave the commencement speech at San Diego State University. Wow, that's pretty awesome, right? The sitting president of the United States. I mean, back then, San Diego was like, what, like a, a Navy town kind of tucked away in the bottom left corner of the United States. Um, but here, the president of the United States was out here and delivered the commencement speech. I mean, which is incredible. I mean, how often do presidents, acting presidents, deliver commencement speeches? It's still pretty rare, right? I think it is. Um, well, in his speech, Kennedy said, what are we going to do by the end of this decade? Our population is growing each decade by a figure equal to the total population of this country at the time of Abraham Lincoln just 100 years ago. Our education system is not expanding fast enough. We're going to have to build as many schools, college classrooms and buildings in 10 years as we did in 150 years. In 1970, we will need 7,500 PhDs in physical sciences, mathematics, and engineering. In 1960, we only graduated 3,000. So Kennedy sent a clear message that day calling for a major expansion of doctoral programs in the United States. And he was doing it from San Diego State University, who is trying to establish itself as a as a, an elite institution of education that provides doctoral degrees for their students. So Kennedy played a big role in doing this. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that, is that originally San Diego State was prevented from offering doctoral programs and uh, prior to 1960 prior to the Donahoe Act. And if the UCs had their way, San Diego State would still be sort of like a backwater college here in San Diego, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a school that's, you know, nice locally, but nothing special beyond the San Diego community. But instead, to a great deal of what JFK has done, I mean, it's turned San Diego State into a research engine. And I think if you think, if you look at, what they're doing with the stadium in Mission Valley, that new stadium as that goes up, that's going to offer massive legitimacy to the athletic program. Just as Viejas Arena, back then it was Cox Arena, just as that added legitimacy to the basketball program. In fact, if they never built Cox Arena, there's no way San Diego State would have hired um, Steve Fisher to be the head coach. And as a result, there's no way San Diego State basketball would be anywhere near what it is today. Um, you know, it's the kind of the notion of build it and they will come. And I think in this case with college facilities, that's proven to be true. Um, universities are also recognizing that from an, you know, the athletic programs provide tremendous PR for their schools in the media and kind of helps them gain a, a national footprint, kind of grows their brand across the across the United States. So when this stadium goes in at in Mission Valley for San Diego State, it's going to further 
um, enhance the San Diego State brand and make it a very strong academic and athletic school, a very strong research school. And, and the athletics and the academics, which I think historically were at odds, certainly when I was at UCSD, the academic community sort of, you know, looked down on people that were in the athletic program. And they kind of liked the fact that they were D3 back then when I went to school because they didn't want to have, you know, a bunch of jocks and, and they didn't want to kind of water down or lower the prestige of their university. But even UCSD has recognized that if they want to be an elite university, they need to be elite across all dimensions, including athletics. San Diego State figured this out long before. Um, and that's a big reason why they always had a strong sports program. That's why they built Cox Arena and now Viejas. And that's another reason why they're building the stadium in Mission Valley. UCSD woke up to that. And shortly after I graduated in 87, they went D2. And then they started, you know, kind of getting their system set up in the 2000s to make the switch to D1. And now they're playing D1 ball and good for them. That's going to make UC San Diego a stronger university with a stronger brand. And it's going to enable that school my alma mater, to attract more students, to attract more research, to, to really enhance it, the prestige of the school. Athletics and academics shouldn't be at odds. They complement one another. And so San Diego State is going through this. Now, when this Mission Valley campus is expanded, and by the way, Mike Ryan on the live stream, how you doing, Mike? The big roar announcement. Good to see you. Um. San Diego State's going to be adding 15,000 more students. I mean, how many students go there now? I think it's like, it's like 35,000, something like that, right? So they're going to be like around 50,000. You know, if, if anyone knows the numbers on this, please correct me. Um, but 15,000 more students are going to be going into that, um, uh, into the school largely driven by the Mission Valley campus. Approximately 1 million square feet of new classroom and research space which will invite more opportunities for innovation and investment in the school. In many ways, the new campus is finally fulfilling Kennedy's vision laid out nearly 60 years ago. So, I mean, this is terrific. So San Diego State now, they're, they're calling this Mission Valley campus their innovation district, which I love that name, because they, they want to be taken seriously as a research organization as a research university. And they said that it's an unprecedented opportunity for industry partnerships and growth for our research enterprise. According to SDSU director of media relations, Corey Marshall, he said, SDSU is at once is a once in a lifetime moment to propel ourselves closer to our goal of becoming an R1 research institution. So I know for me at UCSD, I mean, the the campus thrived the the academic community thrived on partnerships with with you know with the private sector i mean that's a great reason why there's so many biotech pharmaceutical companies that have their roots that go back to UCSD a lot of the the founders the key employees in those companies came up through UCSD well san diego state's trying to build the same thing and overall that's a big win for the San Diego community. 
Now, since 2000, San Diego State University has conferred almost 1,800 doctoral degrees. During the 2021 school year alone, the, the university researchers secured $140 million in grant funding. I mean, that's just tremendous. I wonder what the numbers are at UCSD. They're probably more, but um, I mean, not too long ago, San Diego State was not even allowed to give out a doctoral degree because of the way the systems were set up and the way that the UCs wanted to kind of keep them down as a second-class citizen. But none of this actually would have been possible. All these doctoral degrees coming out of San Diego State University never would have been possible if not for the cooperation with UC San Diego. Um, So 10... It's a 10 out of San Diego State's 18 doctoral programs are in a joint program with UCSD. So UCSD didn't recognize San Diego State necessarily as a competitor, but as a partner to cooperate with. I mean, isn't that terrific? I mean, and really, if you look out in the, in the world, I mean, there's a way more cooperation than competition that actually occurs even in the private sector. And you like to, it's nice to see it. In academia, where there is cooperation. From 2015 to 2020, San Diego State and UCSD faculty co-authored over 2,000 publications. University professors working side by side for both universities. And it's UCSD lent SDSU that, that partnership, which gave them credibility and gave them the opportunity to provide doctoral degrees. Because remember, that's the only way they can do it is through these joint programs because of the tiered system that was created. Um, Yeah, according to this article, it took a strong institution like UCSD, which was unafraid of the success of a regional school, to fully unlock San Diego State's potential. The school's partnership has been better for the city, the region, and the state. But their most famous collaboration was literally out of this world. And the article goes on to talk about how UCSD and San Diego State cooperated um, with putting the Perseverance rover on Mars. That's just fantastic. So now what? San Diego State, from an athletic perspective, still is on the outside looking in. They're still in the Mountain West Conference, which really is – a, a, a tier two conference, right? And it's so hard for San Diego State to find a place to go. And you remember there was the discussion that maybe someday they could get into, people wish they could get into the Pac-12. That always seemed to be an unrealistic aspiration. But then there, over there, there's the Big 12, the so-called Big 12 that only had nine schools. Figure, well, geez, they need three more so they can be 12, right? Well, you thought, that would be a perfect spot for San Diego State. Now, granted, it would put a burden of travel on San Diego State and the other schools. But then with Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12, going to the SEC, now suddenly the Big 12 was only seven. <laughs> but then they go they went out and actually recruited four more schools. And they got three from the American Athletic Conference and then one from somewhere else. But I know Cincinnati is one of those schools, which is a very strong athletic school. So the Big 12 is expanding, but they left out San Diego State. Now, when three of those schools left the American Athletic Conference to join 
the big the big 12 suddenly the american athletic conference had spots open and they were like the mountain west sort of a tier 2 conference and they said hey how about air force colorado state boise state and san diego state why don't you join us and boise and san diego state said nah sorry not interested which is really smart because what does it gain them, you know, to go from one level two conference to another level two conference when they can see the, the, the shifting landscape and the possibility of an opportunity to join perhaps the big, the, the Pac-12 in the future. So what was also interesting in it is, is that recruiting plays a big role in this as well. Remember, for the longest time, we always heard the excuse that the Pac-12 didn't want San Diego State in their conference because they would just prefer to use it as a recruiting ground to get top quality athletes to go to school in one of the to go one of the Pac-12 schools. And I mean, we can make a list of all the amazing athletes that left San Diego to go to Pac-12 schools like Bill Walton, Marcus Allen and. um no, I'm I'm going blank. I can probably come up with a whole bunch of others. Oh, Heisman Trophy winner Reggie Bush, and um, who was the quarterback that went to Utah was the number one pick of the 49ers and had that horrific leg injury for the Redskins or part of me, the Washington football team. Um, Alex Smith. He, I think he went to school. It was at Patrick Henry, I think. And I think that's where Reggie Bush went. Bill Walton, I think, went to Helix. Um, Marcus Allen, I think, went to Lincoln. Um, and then there was even um, a, a Heisman Trophy winner that came out of La Jolla Country Day, Rashad Salam. And then he went to school at Colorado back when they were in the Big 12. But at any rate, what's happening now is, is the, apparently one of the reasons that Oklahoma and Texas left the Big 12 to go to the SEC. Certainly there's a financial opportunity, but more it was about recruiting because the top recruits, especially in football, all wanted to go play for Alabama and LSU and Georgia and Ole Miss, all those top quality SEC schools. So Texas and Oklahoma said, oh my, you know, in order for us to maintain our position to continue to, to recruit elite talent. We need to switch conferences. But at the same time, what's happening with the Pac-12 athletically, particularly in men's basketball and football, they're on the outside looking in too. I mean, granted, they're one of the power five conferences, but I don't think any of the football programs really are likely to be in the uh, in the BCS playoff game. I mean, because Oklahoma, excuse me, Oregon lost to to Stanford, I think, right? Oregon had the best shot of it because they were undefeated. And the, and the funny thing is, is that San Diego State football, because they don't have a, a stadium right now, last year and this year, they're playing up in Carson in the soccer stadium where the LA Galaxy play. Playing in the soccer stadium where the Chargers moved to for a few years temporarily until they moved in to SoFi Stadium with the Rams. So, the chart, excuse me, the Aztecs are playing in Carson. And there was an article in the LA Times saying the best college football team in LA is actually from San Diego <laughs> because UCLA 
you know, had the big win against LSU. And then since then, it's been disappointing. USC fired their coach, and now they're kind of going through a lot of turmoil. And meanwhile, San Diego State football is one of the few undefeated teams in the United States. I think there's like less than 20 of them. And San Diego State, who are they playing this coming weekend? Air Force. Air Force, actually, for Mountain West, actually one of the better Mountain West teams. But San Diego State likely is going to be favored to win every one of their games for the remainder of the season. Good on them. I mean, they could hopefully go undefeated the whole way. But you know what always happens? The, the San Diego sports curse kicks in and will end up, you know, stubbing their, their toe against, I don't know, Fresno State or something. That could happen. But they're positioned potentially to go undefeated for the remainder of the season. That's the funny thing. I mean, the best football college football team in L.A. is actually from San Diego. Um, so the Pac-12 is losing a lot of recruits as well. They're losing recruits in football to the SEC and to the Big Ten, you know, Ohio State, Iowa, Michigan. They're losing basketball recruits to those other schools as well. I mean, the, the dominant basketball program in the Western United States is a little private school up in Spokane that's roughly the size of the University of San Diego, a little Catholic school, Gonzaga. Arguably, the second best college basketball program in the West Coast are your San Diego State Aztecs. Pac-12, supposedly a Power Five conference, with all the history of UCLA basketball and so many other great players and great teams, the, the history of Arizona even. Yet, San Diego State really outperforming them. So the Pac-12 has some serious decisions to make too because if they want to remain a relevant conference from an athletic perspective, they need to open up new ground. They need to expand their school. They need to get a, a stronger footprint in other parts of the United States. They need to add schools. And why not add San Diego State? They're now building a world-class football facility. They've already built a world-class basketball facility. The school is, is rising up aggressively as a world-class research university they're an R2 school, and their goal is to be R1 by 2025. So it's amazing how everything seems to be shifting. You know, it, it used to be that the UC system didn't want anything to do with those pesky Cal State schools that really don't belong um, up here in our ivory tower. They just teach occupational bachelor's degrees. The serious research happens with us, the UCs. We're the ones that are going to get the big money grants. We're the ones that we're going to be having Nobel laureate professors. And, and they do, by the way. But they wanted to keep the, you know, these Cal State schools out. But, you know, some UCs like UCSD were enlightened and cooperated with San Diego State. San Diego State has risen up. Now it may turn out that Berkeley 
in UCLA who really wanted to keep Malcolm Love, the, then the president of San Diego State in 1959, wanted to keep him out. Now those two universities may need to invite San Diego State in to the Pac-12 to help grow their athletic um, credibility, to, to help grow the conference from a revenue perspective, from a recruiting perspective, from a prestige perspective. Now suddenly the, you know, the, the, the kid that was dismissed is now potentially the coveted one. Now they are the potential bell of the ball. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, the article concludes by saying that San Diego State has always been a university that charted its own path and excelled in unconventional and unsurprising ways. Displaying the same grit and entrepreneurial spirit, San Diego State athletics will continue to forge ahead and excel even in the face of artificial obstacles. It is the Aztec way. So I know I just thought this was a great story. I think it's worthy of sharing. It's and I'll include a link in the show notes. The title of the article is The Roots of SDSU's Exclusion from the Pac-12. The author, Paul Garrison. And um, I, I just thought it was very well done. I think it, it answers a lot of questions because it just seems on its face. San Diego State should be a natural expansion candidate for the Pac-12. Frankly, it should have been a natural expansion for the Pac-12 for the last 20 years. But now... Now, it's even clear that it should really join the ranks of Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado and Utah. They should welcome San Diego State into the Pac-12. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. It benefits the conference. And it also benefits San Diego State. So I look forward to that opportunity. I hope that happens. Now, meanwhile, I'm going to continue to root for San Diego State Athletics. You know, that's really the big time football program in town. So I enjoy following them. I'll continue to root for the basketball program. Boy, they're doing great things. They had a great recruiting class for 2022. They just had three announced recruits. I'm really happy. Brian Dutcher has done a great job there. He's been able to recruit outstanding Athletes that are also high character people, guys that want to work, guys that want to, he calls them gym rats, guys that pursue their academics as well, that take their university, they take take their role as a student seriously, as a student athlete seriously. That's good to see. Meanwhile, UCSD, my alma mater, the Tritons are D1. They're in the Big West Conference. Now they're playing big-time basketball in the D1. UCSD could go to March Madness. They are eligible. Now, granted, it's going to be quite a while before that happens. But now they're in the Big West, and I think they're going to be playing against teams like Cal State Fullerton, Cal State Long Beach, Northridge. Who else is in that? UC Santa Barbara. Uh, My daughter's um, alma mater, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, Who else is in that conference? UC Irvine, UC Riverside, maybe Davis is in the Big West. So 
I'm going to try actually to travel this year. I'm going to try to get out to some of the UCSD basketball games, get out on the road. Good excuse for a road trip. They open up at Cal Berkeley, and I think it's on November 9th. Um, so I've got that marked on my calendar. It might be sort of a spur of the moment road trip, but I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's fun now that I can really have a team that I feel like is in the game um, that I can root for. Because a lot of times I go around town and everyone's proudly displaying their their college on their on their chest, you know, especially during the March Madness or college football season. I never really had anything to celebrate, but now I do. But you know what? Even without athletics, I'm very proud of my UCSD degree. Fantastic school academically. Just, I mean, it's, I always joke, my, my degree is like a fine wine. It just keeps getting better with age. And I'm really proud that I am a Triton. But I'm doubly excited because now I'll have two sports programs to root for here in San Diego. So at any rate, uh, I want to just actually go back to the original list. I, I told you when I started this podcast, this episode, there were a lot of things I could have covered, right? Um, here in my hometown of Poway, and we still have all the controversy with the Poway Parks. Oh my God, they put in the temporary lights and people are freaking out, you know, here in my local community as we, you know, essentially upgrade our water infrastructure, which has created some challenges for our park system and now is have a cascading effect of displacing girls softball. They're moving them to Star Ridge Park. They're putting in the temporary lights. So this just went in a couple of days ago. Already members of my community are very concerned. We'll probably do a follow up on that story shortly. The Poway Outpost is another topic. I'm going to get into that one very soon. You know, I'm doing these podcasts now mostly on Wednesdays at two, but I may start working in more additional episodes. The Outpost is that Development project on Poway Road. They dug a hole for two ground, two stories of underground parking. They hit the water table, had trouble getting the water out, keeping it out. They eventually went bankrupt. Now we've got a new company that's involved there, taken over, but not without controversy because they want to change the plan to have more residential housing. The whole the John Gruden story is another one that's almost worthy to get into. Not, I mean, there's the whole angle of John Gruden and the terrible things that he said and did um, that were exposed in the media. But the other part of the story, which I think is fascinating, is the history of the Oakland Raiders and how they were are the antithesis of what John Gruden um, said in those emails. The Raiders, really, one could argue a champion for hiring minority um, coaches and having minority players in leadership positions on the team. Al Davis, in many ways, a real trailblazer. And I think that'll be a fun topic to explore. So we may do that in a future episode as well. Um, but I do want to close out with a quote, you know, because he just went into space today. Captain James Tiberius Kirk of the Star Trek Enterprise Played, of course, by William Shatner. William Shatner, 90 years old, and just was launched into space on Jeff Bezos' rocket ship. What is that called? Blue Origin? I think it's awesome. I mean, you saw some of the photos. He's wearing the Star Trek gold um, uniform, as he always did as Captain Kirk. And the three others in, in a kind of a fun photo were wearing the Star Trek red uniform, which oftentimes 
meant that they were going to die when they landed on the planet because uh, the red uniform guys were always the ones that went down. But it was fun in that photo shoot. But I, I just want to share this one quote from Captain Kirk. And he said, without freedom of choice, there is no creativity. The body dies. And, you know, this is why I'm a big fan of Star Trek. I'm, I love the science fiction aspect of Star Trek. I, I love the adventurism of Star Trek. I've watched every episode of every series. You know, the original series, The Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and Enterprise. In fact, I'm actually re-watching Voyager right now on, on um, Amazon Prime. But I love all of that. It's just a fantastic show. But they really get into a lot of deep topics. And you, we hear, you know, logic versus intuition, right? Kirk versus Spock. You, you hear um, a lot of discussion sort of indirectly about capitalism and socialism that blend their way into Star Trek. A lot to do with diversity and, and inclusion. It plays a huge role in Star Trek. To me, it's a, just a fascinating series. I'm a gigantic fan. So Captain Kirk, you know, this is your day. So good for you. Okay, on that note, I'll sign off. This is John Riley. This is episode number 256 of the John Riley Project. Thanks for joining me and have a great day out there, friends. I'll definitely be back at you next Wednesday, October 20th at 2. And if all goes well, I'll be back sooner than that. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.